You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, brought to you from the good folks at the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss two films randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This week's films, we've got two youth-filled comedies, which is a little unusual for us. It is indeed <laughs> Friday the 13th when we are recording this, but we are spooky. not doing a horror film like we usually do. But that's because we have National Lampoon's Animal House from 1978 and the cult classic Repo Man from 1984. I am Patrick, and I am joined here by... Jim. Hello, everybody. Hello, Patrick. How are you? You uh, seen either or both of these movies before? I have seen neither before, but I was 100% convinced that I'd seen both before. I'm surprised you hadn't seen at least one of these movies. I thought for sure you would have seen Animal House, because I think Animal House is one of those comedy classics. I saw Animal House at a rather young age, actually, because I wasn't really allowed to see R-rated movies so much when I was a kid. So they let you watch a movie with a bunch of tits and drinking and... I saw it at a friend's house. Um, (laughs) But actually, no, there is a story about my parents let me see part of Animal House, and I will get to that later, because it's, at least to me... It's an interesting story. I don't know if it will be to anyone else, because yes, I have interacted with one of the Animal House stars. (gasps) And no, it is not Kevin Bacon. No, it is not John Belushi. It's not any of the ones you care about, but (laughs) it's happened, okay? We'll get to it. But first off, Jim, I want to talk about, you know, this Animal House was a huge movie. Uh, According to Wikipedia, it made $141.6 million. You know, this is 1978, so this is when movies are starting to get really, really big because we Mm -hmm. have... Jaws, Star Wars. Jim, I was going to ask you, so $141.6 million at the box office. This is a lot of money. Yeah. Now, I have not adjusted for inflation, but I wrote down a bunch of other movies that we've covered, and I'm going to quiz you to see if you think this movie made more or less money than Animal House, okay? Okay. (laughs) I'm putting Jim on the spot here. We're going to start off with 2004 Saw. Did it make more or less money than Animal House, do you think? I think it made less money. It did. You're right. It's a little over $100 million, so $35, $40 million less. What about... Why did I even write down Urban Legend? That didn't even make anywhere close to this. <laughs> uh, let's, how about Star Trek The Motion Picture? Did that make more or less oh. money than Animal House? Re- reminder, not, not that this will influence your guess, but reminder... Way back when we covered Aliens, I discovered that, weirdly, Star Trek, up to that point, was the most expensive movie we we had covered. (laughs) So, I mean, that doesn't say anything about how much it made, but... Okay, now, now, when did Star Trek The Motion Picture come out again? A year after Animal House, so, yeah, and and again, a reminder, not calculating for inflation, no one-year difference, unless the Jimmy Carter presidency was as awful as modern Republicans will have you believe. I don't think it's going to be a huge difference with inflation anyways. You know, I want to say it made less money, but I feel like they wouldn't have made more Star Trek movies if it had made less money than Animal House. So I'm going to say it made more, but only just slightly. It made less, but only just slightly. Oh. $139 million, so Animal House, $2 million more than at $2.5 million. What about Face Off? Huh. Reminder, this is almost 20 years later, too, so... And movie ticket prices were more expensive. Sure. I'll say Face Off made more. It did. It made about $100 more, so significantly more. Oh my god. (laughs) What about First Blood? 
Oh, that definitely. Oh, you know what? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, it's I'm it's gonna... rated R too, and and R-rated movies, you know, are hurt Tented. a little bit by their rating in terms of how much money they can make. But everybody talks about. But then again, Rambo. so is Animal House. Animal House is R-rated, so I, I don't know what I'm talking about. So you know, I'm gonna say Rambo made less, but or uh, sorry, First Blood made less, but just slightly. Yeah, that's uh, fifteen million less. Um, so, anyways, I just wanted to quiz your knowledge here. That was a fun game. <laughs> Biggest takeaways were: holy shit, Goldfinger made one hundred and twenty-five million. That was like unheard of back then. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and and that's what nineteen sixty-four. Yeah, Goldfinger sixty-four. So that's a ton of money back then. I don't know if maybe that's calculating some re-releases. It might be, but still, that's impressive. The only movies that I have that I see made more money than Animal House are Alien, one hundred eighty-four point seven million. Probably Aliens, but Wikipedia has a range on that. It said it made anywhere from one hundred thirty-one point one million to one hundred eighty-three point three million. So <laughs> most likely it made more, but the low end of that is indeed less than Animal House. Saw 2 made more, mm-hmm. Face Off made more, and then The Blair Witch Project, our highest grossing film so far, $248.6 million. No way, really. But Animal House is obviously in good company because it made more than a lot of movies, a lot of movies that we think of certainly as big. Star Trek, First Blood, John Wick wasn't even close. John Wick didn't clear a hundred million. Wow, that's actually surprising. I thought John Wick would have cleared a hundred million. I bet you. I bet you the sequels have. But I, I remember when John Wick came out. I think there were a lot of people like, well, "Huh, what is this? Like Keanu Reeves? We're still giving him lead roles, and <laughs> this, 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 this movie just named after a person I've never heard of." You know, I think there. I think it maybe took a while for John Wick to really catch on i would guess because that was my story i i didn't see a john wick movie until at least the third one was out see and i didn't see I'm the like, first oh, yeah, one until the good. second one came out so you and i are to blame for that making only 86 million <laughs> so all that's to say is that animal house was a bit of a cultural phenomenon in 1978 when it came out this came out right before my parents went to college, and my dad has confirmed that, yes, there were toga parties at the University of Notre Dame in the early 1980s. So, so uh, <laughs> now, yeah, this this movie definitely left a lasting impact. Well, also, I, I've got a question for you, because I'm not, you know, well-read on boner comedies. That is essentially what this is. I'm uh, going to slightly dispute that, but go on. I, I well, don't want to get it's into like, that now. It's like young adult... Stroke boner comedy. <laughs> stroke boner comedy. Yeah, that's, but, you always uh, say stroke instead of slash. Is that like a Canadian <laughs> yeah, thing? Right. I've noticed that. I've never heard of that other well, than Well, stroke you. is good. Stroke is good. If you know what I mean. It's a Friday night. Uh, but uh, was Animal House like the first of the of, of these university stroke, or damn it, university slash <laughs> college boner comedies? Um, Or the first Probably. One I, mean, I mean, well... A lot of them, I mean, to begin with, are more high school than college, I would say. I mean, we saw Screwballs, of course. That sucks. Don't don't worry. That didn't make more than Animal House. <laughs> and, uh, like, Porky's, I want to say, is high school. Meatballs, I think, is like a summer camp for high school. But those are, like, all a little bit after Animal House. So I think Animal House, I would guess, is a little bit of the template for those. And okay. And if you remember, when we were talking about Screwballs... 
I pointed out a weird way that I think Animal House was an influence on that because Animal House takes place in the early 60s, mm-hmm. kind of inexplicably, I, I would say. Yeah, and I agree. So, and so did Screwballs, again, very inexplicably. So mm-hmm. I, I think that was, I don't know why they didn't, didn't just set it in the modern day. I think the reason they didn't set Animal House in the modern day was because it was uh, based on the writer's lives and they were probably all going to college at the same time oh harold ramus who went to at uh wash u in st louis washington university which is an excellent university and yes r.i.p someone went went to dartmouth and then uh ivan reitman who i don't think is a writer but he's a producer um he went to mcmaster in in your neck of the woods there up in hamilton so I, I, I would guess that if we were to look at it, they were all in college, probably in like the early 60s, and that's why it's set then, but I'm not 100% sure. Now, uh, now, so I got two things to say. One, I don't think fraternities and sororities are allowed in Canada I That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, so, that's what I thought. Yeah, so any Canadian watching a movie like Animal House or something that was kind of spawned from Animal House that involves fraternities, uh, uh, I can't even say it, fraternities and sororities now. We kind of had to live vicariously through that movie. We're like, oh, this is what this is really like, you know? That's what I thought. I, I thought Canadian universities didn't have the Greek system. Uh, my undergraduate university also did not have the Greek system, although we had a lacrosse team, and it's just as bad. <laughs> and I had a second point, but I don't remember what it was now, so. Well, that's fitting. So, yeah. <laughs> This is Faber College in 1962. You know, 1962 had to be the best year of my life. I was a member of Delta Tau Chi. Not Deltas. What a great bunch of guys. Animal House. We start off at Faber, this fictional university, a couple of freshmen, we follow them on their desire to pledge a fraternity. These are Larry Kroger and Kent Dorfman. Larry Kroger, of course, is played by Thomas Hulse, who later would be nominated for an Academy Award for playing Mozart in the film Amadeus, one of the greatest movies ever. He also, if I'm not mistaken, is the voice of Quasimodo in the uh, Disney Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, and Stephen First, who plays Kent Dorfman, I have no fucking clue what this guy's done. I just know he's dead. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. He's great in this movie. I really like him a lot. Yeah, he is great. So the two of them, they first visit Omega House, and we see right away this is a very snooty fraternity. It's run by... Is the guy's name Greg? I think so. Greg is one of our antagonists, you could say. He's just kind of a pompous asshole he looks the part first of all he's that like bleach blonde look like you want to punch him in the face just looking at him which is ascot wearing and that's that's something i want to point out by the way this is something that i noticed most recently upon rewatching this film is that again we i mentioned there's not much of a reason why this would be a period piece but one thing i've noticed is that the members of the delta house there is no effort whatsoever to make them seem to seem like they're from the early 60s. They yeah, in how they dress and how they talk, 
And with the Omega House people, and I'll say the girlfriends, Babs and uh, Mandy. Yes. They look very old-fashioned. They talk old-fashioned, like like 50s, like American Graffiti era. Yeah, so Larry Kroger and Kent Dorfman, their experience at Omega House doesn't go too well. So they make one final stop at Delta House. Delta House, of course, is the worst fraternity on campus. But Kent Dorfman would be considered a legacy because his older brother went there. And we see right away that it's the worst house on campus because as they're approaching it, just a mannequin is thrown through the window. And then they are greeted by Bluto, played by SNL, I don't think alumnus at this time. I think he was still on SNL, but uh, John Belushi, who is peeing outside. And as they're talking to him, he turns and he pees on them. <laughs> then he, he lets them <laughs> inside. And this there's a lot of great like visual gags in this movie, I think, but... You see this later in the in the Toga Party when people are entering the Delta House. Just immediately, like beer bottles are just flying and then hit the wall or hit oh, yeah, people in nuts. the face or whatever. And it, it's also the dirtiest looking oh, house yeah. on the planet. The set design is perfect. It's it, amazing. Like it, it makes you feel gross. Actually, you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to touch those walls. So yeah, Delta House is a. I think it's the extreme version of like the stereotype of what a fraternity would be like. Horribly irresponsible people who are messy and they're slobs. They don't care at all about academics or about being good people. They just (laughs) want to party and get laid, basically. That's that's what it is. But we meet most of our main characters here. Otter and Boone. Otter is played by Tim Matheson. He is the Rush chairman. The, The two of them are really close. Boone has, like, relationship issues with his girlfriend, who's played by Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Starman. But I thought that was one of the weaker aspects of the movie. That I feel like the relationship's just kind of weird. But two of them are just kind of doing their thing. We also have Hoover, who's the president. Hoover, <laughs> of all the... Other than Dorfman, obviously. Kent Dorfman. Who, the joke is that he's out of place. Hoover, to me, is the most out of place character here. Just looking at him, he doesn't have the look of, like, party boy. Or, yeah, like, is, is, a is guy that wouldn't glasses? care. No, that's Stork. Yeah, okay. Stork has, like, two lines. Stork is played by Douglas Kenny, who's one of the writers of the film, who, I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, was, like, one of the main guys, maybe even the main guy behind National Lampoon. And he was heavily involved in Caddyshack as well. Okay. And he fought very hard to not have the groundhog in that film. <laughs> and then... And then and then uh, killed himself shortly after the movie came out or something No, he didn't like really? That. Oh, my God. Well... <laughs> let's uh, let me let me spread a conspiracy theory here (laughs) the last person to see him alive was chevy chase Uh and we all know now what an asshole chevy chase is so was there foul play afoot with chevy chase maybe who knows Uh, (laughs) i I, I don't put chevy chase above murder quite frankly (laughs) you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with you I mean, allegedly. But yeah, Douglas Kenny's the guy. I, I always thought he, he only has a couple lines, but I always thought he kind of looks like Billy Bob Thornton in this movie. He looks way too old to be a college student, which most of these guys do. And that's a joke, obviously, when we get to Belushi, because he has the famous line, seven years of college down the drain later on. Yeah, the, the, actually, the, if I'm not mistaken, the oldest of all these characters or the of the actors is Tim Matheson, who plays Otter. Looking at him, you would not guess he's the oldest. He looks significantly younger than Belushi. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think he's like 33 or something like that in this movie. Oof. I could be wrong. but So 
my favorite line from this scene when um, Larry Kroger and Kent Dorfman are coming in to presumably rush the fraternity is this has become kind of a famous line in my family because my family, my brother, my mom and dad, we all like this movie. Kent Dorfman, who's just this loser, he's this overweight kind of nerdy guy you know, he's out of place, but he goes up to some people that are like smoking and playing cards and he just like <laughs> goes up to him and goes, you guys playing cards? And they just <laughs> stare at him. And that's become a famous line in my family when like what, if we're around Christmas and we're all together and we play cards or something, my brother will just come up to us and say, you guys playing cards or something? <laughs> it's great. Oh, we also, one character I haven't mentioned is D-Day. He's played by character actor Bruce McGill. He's the one on the motorcycle who, Mm -hmm. I don't know what he does with his throat to make that noise. If that's real, that is amazing. Oh, Larry, good. I see you've met D-Day. Good, you're having a nice time. It's good, good. But as soon as that happened, like, he rolls up the stairs with his motorcycle and starts oh, yeah, awesome. playing his, his throat. I thought, oh no, this isn't going to be one of those movies, is it? Where you have a character who like doesn't speak and just makes fucking noises, and like that's the comedy. He ends up having a decent amount of lines, but you, you would time. think that... Yeah, you, but I agree with his introduction, you would think that that is his character, but no, he's 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 not that. So, I agree. I That would have been kind of annoying if it was just that. Yeah, like a police academy or something it's like okay i get it yeah yeah there is a police academy aspect to that for sure sometime after this mixer we are introduced to dean wormer who is played by john vernon talk about perfect casting i love him in this movie (laughs) he's in a lot of like exploitation movies i think i've seen him in he's the like prison warden in some linda blair women in prison movie he's awesome in that i think he's like uh (laughs) i think he's like dirty harry's boss but he's 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 always like an authority figure he's always angry and he's perfect he lends a kind of class that isn't warranted at all by the movie but (laughs) it's just it's just perfect because because he plays his role completely straight and he's around nothing but goofballs but his thing is he's the university dean and you know he's in charge of of discipline He's meeting with Greg, the leader of Omega House, and he, and he's talking to him, and he's like, now tell me, which of the fraternities here is the worst? And then Greg is doing this, like, well, you know, they all have their positive qualities, and he's like, cut the shit, you know? <laughs> you know you know who it is, who's responsible for, like, he lists all these things, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Delta House. So Dean Wormer <laughs> is out to get Delta House. He learns that they're already on probation, which he didn't realize, apparently, so now he vows that they are now on double secret probation (laughs) maybe my favorite scene of the movie at the delta house when they're going through the projector of all the photos and they're voting on you know should we accept these people as members you know they get to larry kroger and they're like yeah yeah sure why not and then they (laughs) they get to they get to um dorfman and there's a cut to bluto john belushi and he just screams in like utter terror and then everyone starts throwing beer and food (laughs) at the the projector screen i love that scene so much i know know, it's so funny but it's also like well he's not that like larry like larry's a fucking loser too like (laughs) well i know but it's just it's it's funny like that they're just singling out it is um poor Dorfman. but yeah so everyone seems content to not accept dorfman into the fraternity until 
Otter gives this grand speech about how he's a legacy, and listen, you guys were all losers too when we first accepted you. So they agree to accept him, and at the acceptance ceremony, they are given their pledge pins, and they are also given new nicknames. <laughs> Larry Kroger is now Pinto, and Kent Dorfman is now Flounder. <laughs> Poor guy. We, we see this contrasted with the super ritualistic and organized and disturbing way that Omega House initiates its new members, including, of course, <laughs> Kevin Bacon, who plays Chip, where he is, like, stripped down to his underwear and he's being spanked with a paddle. Yeah. And he yeah, has to say, thank you, sir, may I have another? So just, like, <laughs> like weird shit going on there. And, and that's, like, like the weird, weird shit goes on at Delta House, too. But... But I don't like know, it's, it's more fraternity. you know it's more fun right like you're not being exactly yeah really degraded or humiliated. Why would you want to be affiliated with Omega House? What was the uh, uh, former PM of the? Um... Oh, David Cameron. Yeah, yeah, and he fucked a pig, right? For part yes, of his yeah, yeah, and, th- and that's that's the thing is like weird fraternity stuff. There is there are instances of weird weird stuff like this. So the the next big scene is also one of my favorites, and this is where I'm gonna segue into talking about my personal interaction with one of the Animal House stars. This is where we learn that Flounder is in the ROTC, first of all, but they're out there doing drills led by Niedermeyer, who is a student who is a member of the Omega House. He picks on Flounder in particular because Flounder's pathetic, and he's wearing his pajamas underneath his military <laughs> uniform, and then he he comes up to him, and he's like, what is that? On your uniform. And uh, Flounder's like, it's a pledge pin, sir. And then the reaction is priceless. A pledge pin? Like, you can just hear the spit coming out of Mark Metcalf's (laughs) mouth. You can feel the spit coming out of his mouth. Yeah, you can feel it. (laughs) Anyways, and here's where I got to talk about my interaction with Mark Mark Metcalf, who plays Niedermeyer. So, when I was, we'll say, probably like 6th or 7th grade... My family and I, we went to First Stage Children's Theater in Milwaukee, where which is a, a theater troupe that casts a lot of kids, but also has, you know, adult actors. And their big thing is they do like a Q&A period after the show is over because they, they really want to get like kids interested in theater. And and lots of times these are a lot. A lot of their shows are kind of like meant for like junior high classes that are reading a book and then they go and see a play that are that's based on that and then they get to ask questions about like okay so how did you change this or why did you change this stuff like that so we saw a christmas story which featured mark metcalf as the father the darren mcgavin character in the in a christmas story yeah i again i was like 12 so i didn't know who the hell this guy was my parents recognized him as the maestro from seinfeld and then they recalled oh. that he was also in Animal House. So that night, we dug out our Animal House VHS or DVD or whatever, and we watched the pledge pin scene. We watched this scene. So that was my first experience with Animal House. I was very young. About a year later, my junior high class read the book The Giver, the Lois Lowry book. Then we went to the same theater to see it performed. And I, at this point, I recognized him. Mark Metcalf played The Giver. Is the old character, and oh, okay. I was prepping for this because we had the Q and A period a- afterwards, and I wanted I wanted to ask him, uh, excuse me, is that a pledge pin on your uniform? But <laughs> I was really shy back then, 
Uh, I'm, I, I would do this now, but I was too shy back then. So my friend and I, we got another friend to ask the question. I think this was a friend who hadn't even seen Animal House. And <laughs> we, we, got to, we got to the question and answer period. And, and they hand my friend the microphone. And he's like, I have a question specifically for the actor who plays the giver. And, and he's like, okay, yes. And he's like, is that a pledge pin on your uniform? <laughs> and then just without <laughs> skipping a beat, Mark Metcalf just goes, you're you're worthless and weak <laughs> which is the line which is the line from the movie of course but uh, he, he had a laugh about that i think he even said something like i'm surprised any of you kids would have seen that or something but apparently the story with mark metcalf is he lives in wisconsin or at least did live in wisconsin for a while i think what it was is i think he and his wife or maybe just his wife opened up like a restaurant and I think they were just doing that, and then he also wanted to act a little bit, and you know, because he doesn't make a ton of money from that stuff, but he's working with kids and he's, he's giving back to the community in a way. So, but yeah, that's my Niedermeyer story, and that's all I got. Probably took way too long to explain it, but it's a, it's a legendary story in my yeah, family cool. because uh, my parents did not witness it, but I had to tell them, of course. But, anyways, this scene proceeds with Otter and Boone golfing, trying to hit Niedermeyer. They hit Niedermeyer's horse in the ass. Then later on, they hit Niedermeyer in the head. So Niedermeyer, as the horse is running off, is being dragged along on the ground. So so therefore, the next time we see him, of course, he is in a neck brace. It's a wonderful scene. I like this scene quite a bit. So we are also introduced to Professor Jennings, played by Canadian legend Donald Sutherland. And Donald Sutherland as Jennings. Now, was Milton saying... Being bad is more fun than being good. I don't like his character in this movie. I feel like he doesn't add anything. He's an English professor. He puts down John Milton, which I'm not cool with. (laughs) Katie, Karen Allen, Boone, and Pinto go over to his house to talk to him. We don't really know why they're going there other than just to talk to him. And then he immediately starts, like, smoking pot with them. I think you're right about his character. Like, he doesn't really add anything to the movie. I like his character, though. Okay, yeah, I mean, he's not a big, big role. He's in, like, three scenes. Yeah, but, like, he is, he, like, he is playing that kind of cool, chill prof. And, like, I have been to professor's houses before, and I may or may not have partaken in illicit substances with professors. Actually, it would have been illicit at that time. It, it just made me laugh because I'm like, oh, this is what part of like the university experience is. You meet that cool prof, you smoke pot with that cool prof. This is not part of yeah. the university experience that I'm familiar with. Oh, okay. okay. Never mind then. <laughs> you know, it's nitpicking, but Karen Allen, I assume, is a senior. She might not be, but I know Boone is a senior because there's a line later like you're going to graduate in six months. So you're 21 years old. Mm-hmm. But Pinto's a freshman. Like, how do all three of these guys know him? Like, they're not all in the same class, are they? I, It's just weird. But my biggest complaint about this scene, though, is that there's just not a big payoff to it. The payoff to this mildly funny scene where the professor, who's obviously some weird, like, proto-hippie beatnik type guy, <laughs> um, the, the, the payoff is Pinto saying can I buy drugs from you? Like, that's it. Like, the the scene, I don't think it's that funny to begin with, but it definitely deserves a bigger punchline than that. I like the scene a lot, but I think it's just because the scene itself is funny. Like, it's it's funny because it's bizarre, right? Like, it's not the normal university experience. Yeah, it might have been in the 60s. I think it probably was in the 60s for a lot of people, and it was for me in the 20-teens. Okay. 
So Flounder is on stable duty. He has to clean up after Niedermeyer's horse. But <laughs> Niedermeyer's horse hates him. And he's like ready to smack it with a shovel when Niedermeyer stops him. And that's when D-Day and Bluto come up to Flounder and say like, Hey, you hate Niedermeyer, right? You hate that horse. Let's get some payback. And so they steal the horse. They sneak it into Dean Wormer's <laughs> office and they lock it in there. And then D-Day hands Flounder a gun and says, go shoot the thing. Like, this is this is all testing him, especially because we find out the gun only has blanks in it. But the horse has a heart attack when he points the gun at it. And then because later on, he, he doesn't even sh- fire at the horse. He fires up into the air to make it sound like he shot the horse. But then the horse just <laughs> collapses and dies. And they all run out of there. And then the next scene we have in, in Dean Wormer's office where someone in the background is, like, measuring the horse and seeing if he can fit it through the door. And then eventually he, like, takes out a chainsaw or something, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And the great thing about that scene was it was played so straight on on the part of the dean and the mayor of the town. Yeah, the mayor's there, too. The mayor, Mayor Carmine, whatever his name is, is uh, he's basically trying to extort money from the dean because... He's like, listen, if you want to have your homecoming parade in my town, it's going to cost you. And I like how the dean's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure we could um, get an emergency relief fund or something. He's just going to steal the money, basically. (laughs) Yeah. But the mayor's concern is eventually with, you know, Delta House and like these bad apples. We don't want them anywhere near the parade. And that's that's going to become a driving force of the plot later on. Uh, another very famous scene is in the cafeteria here. This is where this is probably the the most famous John Belushi scene in the movie, at least, where he goes through the entire line of the cafeteria, takes literally more food than is humanly possible. Like it's falling <laughs> off his tray, and he's throwing it on the ground too. Yeah, he's shoving stuff into his mouth, like all in one bite, and eating it and swallowing it. It's just a great scene. He's putting stuff in his pockets too, and while all this is happening, Otter who fancies himself a ladies' man, goes and sits next to Mandy, who's one of the girls that associates with Omega House and is actually dating Greg, I think. But apparently the two of them hooked up at one time. And though Mandy is dating Greg, Greg doesn't believe in premarital sex. So she's kind of frustrated. And Otter's trying to make his move, see if something can happen there. But she's not all that receptive to it. Uh, Eventually, the other people from Omega House sit at the table. And so does Bluto. But this is after Bluto has... This isn't going to make much sense unless you see the movie. But John Belushi, the range, the acting range on his eyebrows is insane. You know what I mean? (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. No one can move their eyes. He has that famous scene where he's just like looking at... I don't know if it's Jell-O. But then he kind of like looks back, almost breaks the fourth wall. And just does this thing with his eyebrows that is just hilarious to look at. He looks like a cartoon character. Like you don't see eyebrows move that way on like anyone else he he's belushi's incredible with the facial expressions like i mentioned earlier that 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 scream that he does is hilarious he has a lot of moments like that well it's also great because he can go he can go from zero to a hundred in a split second and not skip a beat you know what i mean absolutely yeah he he has a couple moments where he kind of breaks the fourth wall there's the scene where he's on the ladder and the woman's taking off her clothes in front of him and he just kind of turns towards the camera and yeah. he has such a funny <laughs> expression on his face he it's really almost like a looney tunes thing right like very much so yeah. 
So he sits down with these other people. He disgusts them, of course. And then he shoves <laughs> a thing of... I don't even know what that is. It's just like a ball of something in his mouth. Yeah, and then squeezes his cheeks and spits it over everyone and says, I'm a zit. Get it? And then Greg tries to pick a fight with him, which results in them chasing each other around. Niedermeyer trying to get involved, but he's got the bad neck and everything. And then, of course, it becomes a food fight. Classic goofy scene, goofy, wacky hijinks scene. That's one of many scenes like that in this film. I want to talk about the comedy in this movie. Some of it is a little outdated. Like oh, that. for sure. And we'll get to that. We haven't. A lot of that stuff comes later with the stuff that's just aged horribly well and, and the, the political incorrectness, which, to be fair, was politically incorrect back then. Well, I, I wasn't even talking about that, but I mean, like, stuff like, like John Belushi doing the I'm a zit thing. It's like, you're just gr- like, it, like, I get it. You know, it's not that funny. Like, I get it. But people would have thought that was fucking funny. Same with D-Day playing his throat. You know what I mean? The, th- the throat stuff is awesome. But, but, but you're right. There, there is some political D-Day is the throat goat, as they say. Ew. Ew. Uh, <laughs> ew I don't think that's... that. No, ew. Stop it. <laughs> that's what that term means, right? That's exactly what it means, yes. <laughs> I think the zit thing is, is a perfect example of, like, a lot of this, what happens in this movie isn't that funny like were we to see it happen in real life today but the point is that it's like a more innocent age right and and how these delta house characters conflict with the order of everything else in the movie i think there's a little bit of that i agree i I don't think the zit thing is the funniest i i think the Funniest part of this scene is the eyebrows and just everything with him going through the the cafeteria and taking as much food as he can. That, to me, is a lot funnier than any any uh, zit thing or even anything that follows with the chase and the food fight. I totally agree. And my kind of follow-up point to this is that a lot of the humor is immature. It is childish. Sure. It might get like a, like a smirk off of you. But I also find that this movie balances that immature humor with, like, actual funny, intelligent humor, like with the dead horse. And and, and just the timing of that scene when the guy starts the chainsaw up and it cuts. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. This, this movie has—intelligent might not be the right word, but this movie has some really good— the comedy that works more than just literally what's happening, like the the filmmaking enhances the comedy, the timing, the editing. There's a few mm-hmm. instances. I mean, this we gotta we gotta say it. We just gotta rip this bandaid off. This film was directed by John Landis, a yes. man responsible for multiple deaths. I have no idea what insurance costs are like on a John Landis production. This is before he killed anyone, of course, but. <laughs> There's a few things here in this movie that are just so well done. The edits, the the, I met, already mentioned one, but the the going back to when Flounder comes up on the on the projector screen and they just cut immediately to Belushi just screaming. I think that's such a hilarious <laughs> edit. There's another one later on. It, it's at the parade scene. This is probably the biggest laugh of the entire movie for me. Where because it, it it everything works because the music really brings it home, but everyone looks down at their watch at this at the same time. It's just like one by one, each character who's planning, who's this crucial part of the plan of this uh, of of this you know revenge part of the parade. You know, Hoover looks at his watch. It's eleven o'clock. 
D-Day looks at his watch, it's 11 o'clock, and we get the same musical sting for, like, each one, like, Stork or whoever, and mm-hmm. then eventually it's Bluto looks at his cl- at his watch, and it's, like, 535 or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, the, the editing of that is just, it's genuinely it's brilliant. I think that's, yeah. like, I think over the years, to me, this movie isn't as funny as it was when I was younger, which makes sense because a lot of the humor is immature, but there are aspects of the filmmaking that I appreciate more and more each time, I think. I don't think you have to be just a genuinely like great director to make a really funny comedy movie. But if you have a director that knows what they're doing and wants to enhance some of the jokes with actual filmmaking, I think that you know it makes a difference. And John Landis, as much as I hate the guy, he made a couple pretty good movies. You know, American Werewolf in London, Blues Brothers. I think this is the best of those three. Mm -hmm. And even though Dorfman's date almost gets fucking smoked in the head by a glass bottle in a scene when she comes into the house for the toga party. Mm -hmm. I rewatched that scene multiple times and I feel like I feel like the that sugar glass bottle grazed her face. Oh, yeah. Her hair moves, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Back to some uh, juvenile humor. We have a scene at, like, makeout point or whatever where Greg <laughs> is with his girlfriend who's giving him a hand job. You know, it's just, the, again, this he doesn't believe in premarital sex, but they're also having a joke is that he cannot maintain an erection. And he gets distracted, and she's like, God damn it, Greg, are you even trying <laughs> and so that's not working and the, the point like you can see where this is going like oh yeah greg's a greg's a loser in every way i mean not in the same way that flounder is but he's a loser <laughs> so after greg brings his girlfriend home drops her off at her sorority house bluto just happens to be there happens to find a ladder lying down in the middle of the yard and he takes it up to spy on the women there's a pillow fight, of course, topless pillow fight, which he watches. Yes, of course. And then when Mandy goes into the other room, he follows her. And what he does, and this is another weird uh, family connection I have with this film. I mean, not that I have a family member who literally did this, but <laughs> apparently my, my great-grandfather, who whom I never met, who passed away before I was born, apparently this was his thing when he was on a ladder and he needed to move the ladder he would stay at the top of the ladder and just jump and just, like, move the ladder that way. It's horribly unsafe. No one on Earth will tell you that you should do this, but this is what Belushi does in this movie, and this is apparently what my great-grandfather did, so that's what I always heard about. (laughs) But he ends up looking looking at Mandy in her room. She takes off her top, and she's presumably about to start masturbating when John Belushi falls down, falls backwards, uh, and this is another scene like the scene with Donald Sutherland. It doesn't add anything to the movie, but I at least like this scene. I think it's funnier than the Donald Sutherland scene. I love the bit where when she's like taking off her top and he just kind of turns towards the camera, like breaking the fourth wall. That to me is hilarious. And again, Belushi's facial expressions sell it. Yeah, like uh, that is comedically brilliant and perfectly timed. But also, too, I had assumed that he fell off the ladder because of his erection, and that pushed him off the wall. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah, which is also funny. Haha. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> eh, it's, it's all right. So Delta House has a big midterm exam. Or I guess everyone has a big midterm exam coming up. But Delta House plans to steal 
the tests and it's D-Day and Bluto again, they sneak in to wherever they, the answer sheets are being copied. But Chip from Omega House has already gotten there and they switched out the test so they steal the wrong test. Everyone in Delta House gets a zero on their midterm. <laughs> There's the famous line, I think Hoover says it. He's, he says like, I just checked with the guys from the Jewish fraternity and they said our answers are all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> great joke <laughs> and this is when uh, dean wormer comes into delta house for the first time and you know everyone tries to hide their beer or something and he's he's very threatening to them this is the first time he's interacted with any of them so it takes a while for that to actually happen it happens a couple more times obviously but tell he informs them that they, they that they've been on double secret probation and that this is their last chance and hoover again being the kind of out of place ones he's like well i know our grades aren't doing so hot but you know we're, we're confident we can bring them up with our midterms but after dean warmer leaves hoover is really worried and he's like guys i think we actually need to get our shit together but then everyone he's outvoted everyone just votes for a toga party instead so um <laughs> you guys up for a toga party toga toga I think they like the idea, Hoof. Flounder has his brother's car in town because he's going to go pick up his girlfriend, take her to the toga party, which is not something you would want to do with your girlfriend, of course. In fact, Katie is like, Boone, I'm not joining you for this stupid orgy thing that you're doing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So the other characters basically bully Flounder and make him take them to the grocery store. There's a funny scene where he's, where Otter off screen is throwing him all these groceries and he's like catching them and, and it's very clearly it's it's too many groceries for one person to be throwing him <laughs> and boone stuffs a bunch of food in pinto's clothes and when they're leaving the grocery store the checkout girl who i don't think i have her name written down she comments on like she obviously notices that he's stealing and he apologizes and he says, like, listen, this is just for a fraternity thing. And she's like, ah, it's okay, I won't tell anyone. And then he decides to ask her to the toga party. Clorette is her name. So she eventually does show up there. But also at this uh, grocery store, Otter is making his moves on an older woman who he learns is Dean Wormer's wife. <laughs> but even after he learns that, he is not dissuaded and he invites her to the toga party. She says she's busy. She's got, like, some thing I don't know. But she does show up later on to the toga party, completely drunk, crashes her car into a few other cars. So at the toga party, they get a band. They get Otis Day and the Knights to perform. Uh, so so at the scene, this is, again, this is Delta House completely crazy. Beer flying everywhere. There's the wonderful moment where John Belushi in his toga is walking down the stairs and there's like a hippie guy <laughs> playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. And then he just stops. And again, I, I love the, the facial acting from Belushi because he like knows he shouldn't, but he's like walking by and then he's like, wait a second, like, is there? And he just like slowly turns. Then he takes gu- guitar, smashes it against the wall numerous times, then just hands it back and says, sorry. <laughs> Flounder and his girlfriend are the only ones not in a toga. Flounder's in like a nice suit. His girlfriend is all dressed up, and when she comes in, of course, that's when, like you were you were saying, the beer almost hits her in the face. There's also I don't remember if it's this scene. I think it's this scene. It might, yeah, it is this scene. It's not the opening scene at um, Delta House because 
Tim Matheson is upstairs at that point. But in this scene, when he like lets a couple women into the house, he's like, can I take your coat? And then when they walk (laughs) off, he just throws them on the ground, which is great. I love that. (laughs) So we get the, the, the toga party. They do the song Shout by the Isley Brothers. Then Clorette shows up and she begins drinking like a fish, basically, right away. <laughs> yeah, just pounding him back. She and Pinto eventually go upstairs to Hoover's room, which I want to point out has a freaking Confederate flag in it. I, I it That does, doesn't seem yep. like Hoover's thing. I, I don't know. No. Otter goes upstairs to his, like, sex pad with Dean Wormer's wife. He There's some little bit of fumbling around with things, but he still plays it pretty smooth. Pinto and Clarette, meanwhile, Clarette passes out right after she takes off her bra. And then there's a weird scene where they do the literal devil and angel on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. The devil is telling him to just fuck her brains out or whatever. And the angel's like, no, don't do that. She's passed out. Don't do that. And so he decides not to do that. Thank God. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. But he also just ends up taking her back to her house and dropping her off in a shopping cart when she's still like passed out drunk, which is kind of funny. <laughs> After this latest party, Delta House is really in trouble now because there's reports of sexual transgressions so disturbing that we later find out won't even be able to be reported in their hearing, or there's some line like that from Niedermeyer. But they so they have this final hearing. And the, the the hearing, it's Niedermeyer is the sergeant at arms listing all the charges against them. Hoover is supposed to defend them, but but eventually Otter ends up doing another big grand speech, and he it, it's it's complete nonsense, and he definitely knows it's complete nonsense because he's like, listen, if we, we can't just judge this entire fraternity based off of a few bad apples, you know, if and and if if we are at blame, is it not the entire uh sorority system that's to blame and if this entire sorority system isn't to blame it it, is to blame is it not the fault of the entire american university system and then it's like well then is it america itself and uh, and i like then everyone starts marching off as they're singing like uh america the beautiful or whatever (laughs) yeah um and then (laughs) but obviously the hearing doesn't go well the university starts confiscating everything from delta house there's a great line. I don't remember who says it, but he's like, they're taking everything, even what, even the stuff we didn't steal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love when Bluto starts freaking out about them. Oh, taking yeah. The there's. Booze. <laughs> yeah. Because the guy's like walking by. He's got like a crate of alcohol and he trips and falls on the ground and it breaks. And then Bluto <laughs> just, <laughs> just screams. Reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I also like when Otter shows up. Well, when Budos is like, they took the bar, we were out of everything. Otter tosses him like a barely open bottle of Jack Daniels and he just yeah. downs it in one gulp. <laughs> I could I could taste that scene, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then, then he, I love how he just finishes it by just throwing it into like a car window or something. Yeah, and he goes, thanks, I really needed that. I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> what an animal. This is the famous image of Bluto, right? He's wearing the college pullover it just says mm-hmm. college on it which that's a famous <laughs> image i used to have a t-shirt that just said that actually just wearing a shirt that says college is kind of like all of the food and beverages in our next movie because you know it's just cans that just say food i guess i don't even remember that oh okay never mind that. um anyways so they're not expelled yet you would almost think they're expelled but i guess they're not and the some of our main characters agree to go on a road trip and of course they have to take flounder's brother's car so it's flounder otter 
Boone and Pinto. And it's Otter's idea. He basically just wants to go over to this girl's college and fraudulently hook up with a woman because he's got this grand plan. He's going to ask about this woman that he knows just died. And he's going to claim to be the boyfriend. Uh, I like how that scene's going. Like, he's, he plays it well. He's talking to the, to her roommate. And he's like, well, I just don't think I should be alone. And she's like, yeah, let's go out and do something. I'll grab my coat. And then he's like, oh, could you bring three, three dates for my friends? <laughs> yeah. And they end up going to a club that this is, I think, one of the worst scenes of the movie. It ends up being a black club. But when they stop there because Otis Day and the Knights are performing, of course, the, the people that were performing at their toga party boone in particular is really excited because he's like otis otis loved us wait till he sees us and and boone was the one who was almost like performing with the band like he was drunk and just pretending to sing into a beer bottle yeah but they walk into the club they're immediately out of place they're the only white people there otis pretends to not know them or maybe just genuinely doesn't remember them like there's that scene when boone is up at the bar turns to the singer and goes otis my man and and (laughs) otis day just like stops singing and just like looks at him weird (laughs) so awkward otter's about to hook up with this girl in the car but then a couple big black guys offer to dance with the other people's dates and then they all end up leaving and they run in a, run out of there in a hurry. They abandon their dates. And this is another scene where it's like, it's got that dated stuff that really isn't cool or all that funny, honestly. And then yeah. also like, I wanted a bigger payoff for if we're going to take this much time on a scene that doesn't advance the plot. And I'm okay with that generally because this is a pretty loose plot. But I just want a bigger payoff because this is a long scene. The whole setup and going to the oh my god, it's like 10 university, minutes, talking to the talking to the roommate, like it's a long thing. It's a lot longer than the scene with Jennings. Yeah. Well, and I guess, and again, like I guess the payoff for this scene is the well, they damage the car exactly. Yeah, is the damaging of the car, and that's supposed to be funny because now Flounder's like crying, he's weeping. That could have easily been damaged earlier because uh, Mrs. Wormer ends up crashing into numerous cars outside the party it could have just happened that way (laughs) yeah so yeah i i wanted more out of this for for how much time we spend on it but yeah there there is a funny scene though when they arrive back and flounder is literally crying because he doesn't know what they can do about the car and bluto's trying to cheer him up and he's like doing goofy like clown faces like what you would do to like a child to get them to laugh (laughs) and he literally takes like a beer bottle and just smashes it over his own head but yeah and and d-day who's like the mechanic of the group claims he's gonna fix up the car but you know who who the fuck knows with him right (laughs) so boone is trying to find his girlfriend katie ends up finding her at professor jennings house sees that they hooked up and then just angrily storms off this is probably the funniest donald sutherland stuff where he's just like walking behind her he's (laughs) only got a shirt on and then we asked when he opens up the cabinet and has to like reach for a coffee cup or something like the shirt goes up and you just see his bare ass like that's pretty funny (laughs) It's really good, yeah. But yeah, so this is our character's lowest points, or at least it's about to be, because Otter is then... Oh, it's um, Babs, who's Mandy's friend, comes clean with Greg and tells him that Otter and Mandy hooked up. And then so she helps set up a thing to get to get Otter get get beaten up, and Otter is beaten up by all of... You know, it's Niedermeyer, it's... Kevin Bacon, all those guys. 
So Otter and Boone are actually missing when Dean Wormer last confronts everybody and expels them. And I wrote down the GPAs here because there's some there's some good uh, good jokes here. So Pinto, 1.2 GPA. Flounder, who at this point is pissed drunk because I think they tell him like the only thing he can do is just drink heavily. Yeah. <laughs> and his 0.2 GPA. Hoover, who's again the president, is a 1.6 GPA. I believe that's the best at the <laughs> at Dental House. D-Day, no GPA, all incompletes. And Beluto, of course, is 0.0 GPA. <laughs> so they're all expelled, and then Flounder throws up on Dean Wormer. <laughs> So everyone, they, they don't know what to do. You know, what are they going to do? They, they're they they're expelled. What can they do? But it's Bluto that it's it's usually it's been Otter given the inspiring speech so far. But this time it's Bluto who, of course, a great speech that includes the, you know, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor line? <laughs> But yeah, and then yeah. Otter is like the first to agree with him. He's like, you know, Bluto's right. Psychotic, but but right. Like, we, <laughs> we got to get revenge. So they begin planning to sabotage the parade. And this is how they're, they're, they intend to get back at all these people who have wronged them. Dean Wormer, Greg, Niedermeyer. Essentially, everyone else is collateral damage, right? Yeah, it's the whole of the Omega, Omega group and the Dean. Yeah. Have we already passed the point where Pinto discovers that the woman... No, that's coming up. That's like the night before the parade. Yeah, because we got to talk about this scene. So Pinto goes back to, what was her name, Claretta or something like that? Yeah, Claretta. And he he gets her attention by accidentally breaking her window and he talks to her. And also, by the way, she's the mayor's daughter. That was revealed at some point. We I haven't pointed that out yet. But yes, they go to the football field... They're about to have sex. They're they're talking, and then Pinto admits, like, hey, you know, I'm sorry I lied to you, but I've never done this before. And she's like, well, I've lied to you, too. I'm only 13 or something. And then, yeah, yeah let's, <laughs> so let's talk about this scene, this or this, this I guess, this plot, because, I mean, we might have talked about this a little bit with Screwballs, which was really the only other kind of sex comedy that we've done. Sex comedies, teen sex comedies, boner comedies, whatever, they're not necessarily going for realism, but mm-hmm. they're also not going for... They're obviously not trying to teach lessons, right? They're not saying this is how you should act. But they're also not necessarily... They're more like, well, this is kind of how things happen. So, like, like the, the immaturity, the problematic nature, I guess, of, the, of this plot can be explained. Well, these are immature college students. They do stupid and problematic stuff. But still, the 13-year-old is a little 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 messed up you know i mean i like because you can look at like any of these things and say like oh yeah all, like all all this stuff is messed up because obviously it is and yeah it's it's weird because you know i mean talking about high school based sex comedies either it's said or assumed i think that everybody in the movie is a senior so they're they're in their last year right because you have prom and yeah that's right? how it usually is they're usually so, 17 18 like exactly. american pie they're all trying to get laid before senior prom right so i mean that it, it, you know it's acceptable i guess you know if they're all 18 but when you take a movie like this and then if i can interrupt you it's certain things are acceptable like the 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 immaturity of the desire to just get laid but like there's still like objectification the the not you know 
they're, they're still messed up stuff, but usually the movies have like a little bit of like character development usually. Yes, yeah. But yeah, here, I, th- I think what you're saying is in a college, it's diff- it's everyone's an adult except for this one character. Yeah, and, and that makes it weird too, but also like Animal House and high school sex comedies are marketed towards, you know, seven, 16 year old, 17, 18, 19, sure. 20, early 20, stuff like that. Baby, baby's first tits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, it's just odd when you take a character, especially a thirteen-year-old character, and throw them into to a movie like this. I mean, obviously yeah. the actress isn't thirteen. And, yeah, but, and mean, that's the thing is, it is just a cheap joke. The actress isn't thirteen. The actress is eighteen, nineteen, twenty, something. Yeah, like but, that. but but it comes off as weird when you hear that, and you're like, oh, oh, sure, that's weird. Yeah, because you know, half an hour before you were contemplating raping this woman as she was passed out drunk on a bed you know and also i want to point out too it's just kind of weird weird filmmaking stuff or whatever but when she passes out when he's taking her bra off that's when it turns out there was just tissue paper or toilet paper in or like padding right yeah and so like oh the implication is there that she doesn't really have boobs and she's trying to look older Right, so there were there were seeds planted at you know this girl's maybe not thirteen but maybe not college age. But then we yeah. still get the shots of her actually topless, just passed out, which is weird. And also, yeah. you know, she's not not flat. Like, why is she doing the padding? She's, it's not like a Kira Knightley situation. <laughs> yeah, I so that's just weird. Yeah, I agree. I, and and again, well, I was just gonna say, yeah, was that padding? there to imply that she was severely underage or was it just supposed to be like a throwaway joke you know like you know good question good question so this uh clorette de pasto played by sarah holcomb sarah holcomb you may recognize from caddyshack which i mentioned earlier the film that got one of the writers to commit suicide or rather murdered (laughs) by chevy chase (laughs) So she did not have a long acting career. 1978 to 1980. She's in five movies, including one where she plays herself. What the fuck is that? Mr. Mike's, <laughs> Mr. Mike's Mondo video. What is that? Oh, my God. Is that a porno? She's only in a handful of movies. This is her first movie. She was supposed to be in Jaws 2, but apparently Jaws 2 went through a bunch of rewrites, and at some point she dropped out of that because she I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. It's Jaws 2. It's not worth it. But... And this is just, she has a really brief Wikipedia page, but according to, I'm just reading directly here, Animal House co-writer Chris Miller said, quote, she was young, younger than the rest of us. We were a fast crowd. Drugs were everywhere. She fell into what, for lack of a better term, you would have to call bad company, end quote. Yeah. To my knowledge, she's still alive, but uh, this sounds like... But read on past that. Yeah, well, I know I was going to, but yeah, the, the character Dory Lawrence in the film Stateside, which is something I've never heard of, an actress who suffers from schizophrenia, is based on Holcomb. So it sounds like this movie fucked with her life, which is messed up. And let's just say it, it's not the first, or well, it might be the first time, it's not the last time John Landis ruined someone's life, or in some cases ended it. But yeah, that's, like, you hate to you hate to see that. Like, that's just, everything about her character in this movie is awful and weird and i don't like it It, this just makes it so much worse Mm -hmm, for sure yeah that's that's really unfortunate (laughs) what can you say what can you say yeah there's kind of a black cloud over this uh over this now for me anyways that's just unfortunate this poor girl 
But anyways, let's get down to our hilarious climactic scene <laughs> at the parade. <laughs> <laughs> a change of note there's no there's no other way to come back from that right because i do like this uh this scene so they plan they're doing all these things d-day makes flounder's brother's car into a parade float which is a cake <laughs> that says eat me on it <laughs> hoover is setting up with like a chain which he attaches to a another parade float and which ends up tearing it in half and tearing down a telephone pole Flounder gets a, buys a bunch of marbles. Stork, uh, Douglas Kenny, <laughs> he, buys a, he buys a length of rope and uh, some some notepad to write on. Oh, <laughs> um, no, um, might, yeah, I I don't know how he kills himself. It might have been a gun. I, I read know. I read it. He he drove off a cliff. Okay, well Hawaii. he buys a car then. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, he. Uh, jumps into the marching band uh when when the the conductor the parade leader whatever the marching band leader tosses up his um baton he pushes the guy out of the way grabs the baton and then leads the marching band into an alley (laughs) then of course the float the eat me cake float arrives i think this is the scene where it really kind of hit home to me is like oh yeah they're doing something here with the, the 1961 or 62 setting or whatever, where everyone else is like this kind of innocent, like old fashioned movie character. And these guys are just modern assholes. Like, cause this is where he's approaching, where, where the float is approaching this weird, like Genghis Khan float. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the guy turns and like, looks back and he's like, Hey, say they're approaching really fast or something. And just like the way he says it is like, so like old time movie. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I didn't realize that this movie was, I guess, a period piece until this scene. Well, yeah, because this scene is the one, uh, obviously, when we get when we get the, uh, I'm there's, sure there's a the epitaphs for all these characters, right? Then it's very clear. But you're right. It's not a big part of the movie, but I'm just thinking, like, knowing that, like, oh, that kind of makes these scenes a little funny. But the parade is in shambles. A woman in a bunny costume is launched into the bedroom of a of a young boy reading a playboy and he goes thank you god (laughs) the car the death machine formerly flounder's brother's car crashes into the bleachers where the uh mayor dean wormer and his wife are and it sends and greg also and it sends them all up in the air greg goes to the car and tries to beat up the people you know everybody involved but otter ends up taking him out bluto for no reason is dressed as a pirate which i rather enjoy (laughs) and he's like swinging around he's like climbing buildings as as all these people are chasing him because niedermeyer was marching with his uh, rotc guys and they have like all these rubber bullets or whatever, right? Because they have guns, but they're they don't have actual like. But he actually has real ammunition as well, which he loads up. <laughs> um, he almost kills Flounder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he shoots the bottle. <laughs> One of the floats ends up driving up and taking him away. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and then we get our little like, again. I'll say epitaph for all these characters. I wrote them down because I think these are funny. These some of these are like some of the funniest things in the movie. I think the first one we see is Hoover. This is after he says to Dean Wormer, like, hey, I, I, you think we can re- you can reconsider, like, admitting us or something, uh, you know? And it says he's a public defender in Baltimore, which I assume is a joke about how Baltimore is horribly crime-ridden, but you know, <laughs> that didn't really land for me. Some of these don't land, but some of them are 
great. Pinto is an editor at National Lampoon. Yeah. Greg, who's the Omega House uh, leader, it was a Nixon White House aide raped in prison in 1974. Yes. <laughs> it it, it kind of lands. We're getting, we're getting better with these. Otter, of course, the ladies' man. Gynecologist, Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite is probably Niedermeyer. Killed in Vietnam by his own troops. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's one, one of my favorite jokes. Yeah. This one didn't really land for me. Flounder sensitivity trainer. Yeah. I, I, we like, could have done something uh, better for him. Boone and Katie, because they, they make up here. Boone is basically being arrested, but then Katie distracts the police and then they end up kissing. And it says, Boone and Katie married in 1964. And then it, after a brief pause, it says divorce 1969. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Then we get Babs, who at some point her clothes came off and she's just in her underwear. Yeah. This one, I, I have no idea what they're going for here. It says, Tour Guide Universal Studios. What does that mean? Yeah, I've no, I I didn't understand it. I was just like, oh. Okay. That doesn't seem like a joke. That just seems like, oh, she went on to be a tour guide. Like, <laughs> is, 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 <laughs> and then, of course, one of the best, because Bluto jumps into the car with uh, Mandy in it. He's driving off with Mandy into the... Well, not sunset. It's like early afternoon. And it just says, Senator and Mr. Bl- Senator and Mrs. Blutarski, Washington, D.C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> so, Jim, what did you think of Animal House? Well, first time watching it, I thought it was pretty funny. I thought, for the most part, it held up pretty well. I liked the jokes. I thought it was a lot better than most school-based sex comedies. There were definitely some scenes that I laughed out loud at, like the dead horse, <laughs> the horse having a heart attack. I thought that the was... horse scene is is a yeah is that might have been my favorite yes. scene. It's up there. It's genuinely a great movie. I can't believe I'd never seen it before. I wish I had seen it sooner. Yeah, it's fantastic. How about you? Well, I like it quite a bit too. I don't like it as much as I used to. I think when I was younger, maybe because I hadn't seen a lot of kind of raunchy comedies. I thought this was like the funniest movie ever. Just about. I don't I don't think it's that. I think it's very funny. I think it's funnier than most comedies. I don't think it's the funniest thing ever though. It's no young Frankenstein. I mean, I think it's very funny. I I've spent a lot of time talking about my favorite scenes. Some of them are not scenes so much as just really brief things. I think the biggest laugh for me is when they're all looking at their watches. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> how organized they are, how coordinated they are. It's 11 o'clock for all of them until it's 5.35 for <laughs> for um, for Bluto. Most of the best stuff, I think, are some of the Bluto bits, whether it's him breaking the fourth wall, him with his eyebrows, his facial expressions, when he's dressed in all black and he's trying to be sneaky, the way he just kind of runs and kind of hops around, again, very much like a cartoon character. And then the scene where he screams when the picture of flounder comes up of course is is brilliant and <laughs> even when he's good. peeing on them is, is hilarious yeah that, that that was a great character introduction that was uh that was good yeah and then and then the, the when they when he's he screams when they trip and drop all the liquor that's great too <laughs> yeah a lot of the best stuff is him i think there's a lot of other stuff i still like but bluto is definitely the highlight and there's a few scenes here where and this is acceptable because it's it's not a movie about the plot by any means it is just a goofy comedy but there are definitely a few scenes that well the, that don't go anywhere and they don't justify their existence within the movie because the payoff isn't good enough for how much time we spend on them i.e the scene with otis day at the black nightclub the scene with jennings and and smoking pot and Mm. 
maybe the the hand job scenes with Greg, maybe even a little bit. And um, I mean, it's not a perfect movie, and we we talked about some of the more plot problematic aspects, obviously. But I also think I'm gonna I mentioned this a while ago, but I'm going to combat your classification of this as a boner comedy. Please do, yeah, go for it. There's there's an aspect of that, of course, but it's never about them just trying to get laid. That's like a that's something that that comes of it but yeah. it just like you know they're just trying to have a good time and it becomes this like revenge <laughs> movie later on with the dean wormer and stuff but you know there's an aspect of it but like there's a i mean this is a smaller aspect obviously but there's a very small aspect of this where it's a stoner comedy and obviously mm-hmm. i wouldn't call it a stoner comedy and i don't think you would either because no. it's really just that one scene but i don't think either of us, either of us has seen porkies so really unfortunately screwballs is our reference here with sex comedies this well, isn't it, screwballs because screwballs like, everything was about sex in that movie this one yeah. it's not there's a lot of the best humor is um you know it's the lines like seven years of college down the drain it's all that stuff i agree with you because uh, like i was just calling it a boner comedy because I think that's what this type of movie has been called. But I think because sure. Animal House spawned so many actual boner comedies. Like, if we're if we're going to compare Animal House to a movie, we could compare it maybe to Revenge of the Nerds. Which I also haven't seen, unfortunately. Oh, okay, yeah, so. so like that movie, just quickly, literally in the title, Revenge of the Nerds, it is a boner comedy about these nerds kind of coming of age and meeting women and proving that nerds are quote-unquote cool. Sure. There's something to do with like the, the Dean in that movie too, I haven't seen it in a long time, but that is a boner comedy because there is so much sex and nudity and a lot of large portions of the plot revolve around sex. Yeah. With Animal House, something that surprised me, because this is a famous comedy, and again, it's seemingly, or apparently, or I'm sure it did, spawn all kinds of these Mm -hmm. collegiate-based comedies. I was surprised at how little nudity and sex there was in the movie, and how little the plot actually revolved around it. Yeah, I guess guess that's my point, is that it's a feature of the film, for sure. Mm-hmm. But sex, nudity, that's an aspect of juvenile humor, obviously. But there's just so much more humor that has nothing to do with that. And if this is a sex comedy, this is one of the few that's, like, critically acclaimed in a way, right? Because most yes, of those yeah. movies, like, they might do well, but they're not going to be respected by critics. This movie's what does it have on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm going to look that up really quick. Well, as you look that up, I'm going to make a point here. This movie has kind of stood the test of time. Sure, things are are a little 91 percent on rotten tomatoes that is wow. absurdly high for like for a, sex a comedy. comedy a lowbrow comedy specifically i guess yeah because lowbrow is certainly a fair classification this isn't highbrow cinema no any means i think even though some things have aged poorly in this movie and unfortunately we have that story about miss holcomb this did age pretty well and i think it's because sex isn't stressed in it you know what I mean? It, it, it's not revolving around sex and whatever else that most youth comedies would come to be based around. This is more concerned about making actual jokes. The sex mm. isn't the joke. The nudity isn't the joke. It's it's actual jokey jokes. <laughs> it is you know? it is in a few instances, i.e. Donald Sutherland's ass shot. That is that, is <laughs> that I, I laughed out scene. loud at that one. Too. Yeah, that that's a good one. That's that's the that's the funniest bit of nudity in this movie. But I I agree with you. To a certain extent, I think the movie's 
aged very poorly in certain regards, as as any comedy would, right? There's topical might not be the right word, but the the whole Greg becoming a Nixon aide that gets raped in prison, like there, that's a set, that's a joke straight out of the seventies, right? That doesn't yeah. <laughs> you you would if you're doing this movie now, you wouldn't have that joke. But the humor that ages poorly ages because of the substance primarily. But what ages well is the actual construction of the jokes. Yes, the um, you're right. The editing, the um, the, the the things in the sh- like the what do you talk about with the the dead horse in the background and and the timing of that whole scene when he busts out the chainsaw, like all that stuff is is great. You know, there's some good slapstick here, and but there's just like a lot of good just visual jokes and the jokes that are created in editing specifically too that I appreciate. And then and there's also a lot of just. John Belushi's facial expressions are just hilarious. I don't, they just are like, <laughs> you know, Yeah, it's, it's a shame that, I mean, I, I enjoyed him in this movie, but I just wish he had more lines so he yeah. could say funny things instead of just do funny things. Sure. But I also feel like maybe because <laughs> when he, he, he has that big speech towards the end, that is hilarious. That it was oh, yeah. when the Germans bomb Pearl. Like that's awesome. <laughs> But he, yeah. you're right, he doesn't have too many lines other than that. Well, and I'm also wondering if it's if it's possible that by this point, you know, John Belushi was just showing up to set, f- like, fucked up every day. Like, so fucked up that he that he wasn't remembering lines, you know? It's, it's possible, but I'm also going to say, referencing what we read about Sarah Holcomb in, in that Wikipedia article, and also knowing what I know about Caddyshack and just comedy of this era, I'm going to say he probably wasn't the only one. If he if he, if he yeah. was like that, yeah, I don't know any specifics, but I just know what comedy was like in the late seventies, early eighties. I know what SNL was like at that period. I mean, SNL had that problem through Chris Farley, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's maybe it's gone away now, but the biggest question is: Do you think after shooting that scene where he's pants pantless, that Donald Sutherland then showed up to do lines of coke with Belushi, pantless in his cardigan, in his little wool cardigan that he was wearing? It's a good question. I, I, I do, maybe it's because I've seen his character in the movie, but I picture Donald Sutherland as a stoner, not so much a cokehead. You know, if I ever meet him, I'll ask him. <laughs> well, you better hurry. He's pretty freaking old. I know. Right. I looked up. Um, I, I thought he was dead actually, but I forgot it was Christopher Plummer that died recently. Yeah, I don't know how you could possibly get those two mixed. up. I get them both mixed up all the time. I'll tell you what. I know his son Kiefer had some major issues early on when he was younger uh yes. drugs and stuff so speaking of which we're talking i mean this is going to work as our segue here we're talking about Kiefer sutherland second generation actor who's had a weird fucked up drug riddled life we're about to talk about a movie with charlie sheen's brother in it so why don't you take it away jim i will meet otto he's a green cut kid in a dirty business he repossesses cars. He's a repo man. Emilio Estevez. Patrick, you won't understand this reference, but he looks almost exactly like Roronoa Zoro in One Piece, the anime that I love. And before you shit all over anime, it's a great anime, Patrick. One okay, I just heard you. you stuttering. I don't know what you said. Oh my god. Yeah, Roronoa Zoro. That's his name. Great name. I'm going to force you to watch One Piece one day, and uh, we'll record an episode on it. Wrong. Okay. Repo Man. Came out in 1984. Directed by a fellow named Alex Cox. No relation to Courtney. I don't know anything he's ever done. 
I looked him up. He was a a film student at UCLA, and this this movie, and I mean this in a positive way. I, I maybe sometimes when I say this, I will mean it as a negative way. This feels like a very film student film. Just the ideas in it are just weird, and mm-hmm. it's got that punk rock mentality of just there's some DIY low budget stuff. But yeah, he's a British guy. He was at UCLA. He was like 29 or so when he made this. I looked up what else he did. He he made like a I don't think it was a true sequel, but he made like a Repo Woman movie or something like 15 years ago. That yeah, it was called Repo Girl, maybe. Yeah, or it had like a weird name. It was a like Repo. But I'm Gal. like, oh, I wonder what that's like. And then I saw that the budget was like fifteen thousand dollars, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> I, uh, 21st century low budget movies, with some exceptions, are like unwatchable for me. They're just so ugly and disgusting low budget from like the 70s and 80s has this charm to it because mm-hmm. they actually shot on film for the most part there's definitely exceptions to that and i mean this is this is a low budget movie but it's not fifteen thousand or whatever repo girl was <laughs> you know yeah i mean harry dean stanton he's a he's a real actor he's not like a star or anything. famous fella passed away a couple of years ago yep i don't know anybody else in this movie, I don't. I I've never heard of anybody else in this movie. You are a liar. The okay. main love interest in this film, Olivia Barish is her name. We've seen her before. What have we seen her in? Another sci-fi comedy. She is in Doctor Alien. She is the love interest in Doctor Alien. No five years way. later. Really? Yeah. Uh, wow. That classic. Again, going back to low-budget films from that period can be awesome. Great movie. Well, speaking of aliens, this movie kind of ties to our last movie in several ways, but one of them is that there's no real plot. So with Animal House, the central plot was Delta's a shitty frat, and everybody's going to get expelled because they're all shitty people, and then things happen around that issue. The issue in this movie is there is a guy, what is it, is it J.F. Parnell? Named after the Irish uh, revolutionary leader. No, he's <laughs> I, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Charles Stewart Parnell? Probably not. Oh, or Chris Parnell, who does a voice in the TV show. Oh, Archer. God. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know he's on Rick and Morty, but I was going to oh, say that right. guy, he is. Yeah, the guy was fucking terrible on SNL. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was bad. We meet him at the very opening of the movie driving a Chevy Malibu. And by driving, I mean swerving all over the road. He's wearing a pair of sunglasses with one lens missing. And yeah. he gets pulled over by, like, a cop, like a state trooper or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's got the boots. That feels very state trooper. You can tell right away something is super weird with this guy. Like, he's not rolling down his window. He's, like, singing to himself. You were just singing to yourself. Uh, right? That is when, true. When, when, we, when we took a brief break. Is, <laughs> is there something wrong with you? <laughs> of course. The state trooper wants his ID and stuff. For some reason, he's like, I'm going to check the trunk. I think he heard something. Well, and whenever we see this car, there's like a weird noise that yeah, that comes along with it. It's like, well, 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 well. It's like a wah-wah pedal. So this trooper walks to the back of the car, pops the trunk, and this light comes out of the trunk, much like the briefcase in uh, Pulp Fiction. A little Raiders of the Lost Arky, too, in, oh, in, in yeah. terms of what we actually see happen in this guy, right? Yeah, he gets, gets... <laughs> yeah, it gets absolutely vaporized. Yeah, and, and only the boots are left. Which yeah, is it's so great. Smoking, earlier. like smoldering boots on the side of the highway. It's just fantastic. And then everything just kind of all happens from this point on, and various storylines are intertwined. But we are introduced to Otto, who's played by Emilio Estevez, and he's this punk rocker kid. 
working at this shit grocery store that he gets fired from because he throws his friend into a display and mouths off at the manager. D- does Emilio Estevez look like a punk rocker to you? Because no. he doesn't. I, this is no. weird casting to me. I, I He just doesn't have the... But then again, he's also kind of like a two-bit, like a wannabe. Like, there's a little bit of that. Yeah, well, because well, cause we learned that he's a fucking loser. That's yeah. the problem. Very quickly, we learned that he's a loser. He's lost his shit job at a shit grocery store. A job that I've had, by the way. Oh, I, no. I, uh, I was not fired. I quit. <laughs> Good. Good for you. He has... I guess what could be described as a girlfriend who then is fucking somebody else while he's going to get her a beer. Nobody really respects him. He doesn't really have any place to go. He lives with his parents, but he's a hard punk rocker, you know? Also, to reference something I brought up in the Animal House bit, if you go back and rewatch this movie, all of like the food products in the movie yeah. just have food written across them. Okay. And beer cans just have beer written across I, I did notice the beer come to think of it. Yeah, I did see that. And I, and I wonder, I, there's obviously an aspect of this movie, maybe a bigger than, it's more than just an aspect. There's a satirical element mm-hmm. to this film, obviously. But I wonder how much of that, too, is just low budget. You know, this is what we have to do because we can't afford to show a company logo. And this is easier than, like, faking one, you know, making like a, what what is it? I don't know if you've seen Mandy, but... Mandy as a cheddar goblin is their like uh, craft dinner, <laughs> their their like fake craft dinner thing, and they they construct cheddar a legitimate goblin. like television commercial for it and everything, and it looks amazing. But oh my god! But yeah, you can't always afford a cheddar goblin, so sometimes you just have to say beer. Yeah, well, this movie it's uh it's pretty out there. Oh, for sure. I don't and and kind of building off what you just said, I don't know if it's if that is due to budget or if it's due to trying to make a statement about society as as an independent filmmaker you know what i mean yeah it, it might be a bit of both but yeah i i think both are distinct possibilities for sure so otto's walking down the street after all this awful shit has been happening to him and this random guy in a car harry dean stanton i think his name's bud he asks him to help him move his wife's car because she's in the hospital and yada, yada, yada. He doesn't want to leave the car in a bad end of town. So he chucks Otto the keys and it's an Oldsmobile Cutlass, a beautiful Cutlass. And Otto hops in it and starts it up. And uh, Bud is like, come on, let's get going. Hurry up. Come on. You got to follow me. Let's go. And unbeknownst to Otto, Bud is a repo man. And this like Mexican family leans out the window and sees that their car's being repossessed. This somehow doesn't tip Otto off to what's happening, and he drives away. And he tails Bud all the way back to a repo shop to their yard, and he parks the car. And uh, he goes, wait a minute, you guys are repo men. (laughs) He's like, yeah, we are, kid. And uh, Otto kind of scoffs at them he like pours a beer all over their carpet yeah because they're because they're the man he's, yeah he's yeah because the they're the establishment they're, they're, you know they're, yeah they're they're stealing people's things taking their hard-earned or hard stolen stuff away you know he also meets a character at this repo yard i forget the guy's name but he's like a he's a mechanic is it miller he's really weird very weird there's a lot of weird things about this movie but this guy's one of them he just seems like he's on acid or something the whole movie but Eventually, like, Otto goes home, he's asks his parents for some money, because I think they promised him, hey, if you go back to school and finish it, we'll give you $1,000 and you can travel to Europe. And when he goes home and he's eating food brand food out of a can, his parents are, like, mesmerized by the television. They're just... Yeah, this was weird. They're very, like, lethargic and just staring at the TV. His mom lights up a joint. 
Otto asks for the money. He says, hey, you know, you promised $1,000. I'm going to go back to school. Can I have the money up front, though? And his dad says, oh, well, we don't have it anymore. We gave it to this televangelist because we're buying Bibles for people in South America or something. Mm-hmm. So Otto decides to go back to the repo yard to say, hey, can I get a job? Like, am I going to be paid every time we take a car back? While all this is going on, there's like some government organization that mm-hmm. is now looking into the death of this state trooper. And Oh, yeah, I, li- I liked it because they're they're also with the cops and they're like, so what actually happened? And, and they're just like, oh, it happens every now and then. He just exploded or whatever. Like, that's <laughs> that's the official uh, official yeah. story that this government organization is going with. They're basically the men in black. Mm-hmm. Except Except a woman is spearheading this group with a shiny metallic hand that's weird there's all kinds of weird stuff right like even the scene just before Otto's talking to this mechanic and the mechanic pulls out like an air freshener from the car and he's like you'll find one of these in every car and then it cuts to the state troopers motorcycling scene air freshener hanging off the window of the the, the windscreen of the motorcycle yeah mo- motorcycles don't have windows it, is, yeah so. sorry my apologies the windscreen but sure. it, like there's just like weird like the whole movie is weird oh yeah I like it, but it's a weird movie. Well, also, also one thing one thing we haven't discussed about this film yet. Actually, we didn't discuss about Animal House either so much, but the music. I think this movie's kind of among other things. It's known for its music. It's got kind of a punk rock soundtrack. The theme song is done is done by Iggy Pop, or at least written by him. I don't know if he performs it. Apparently, the soundtrack, the music is is how the movie was made. They w- weren't able to get funding until they had like all these punk rock tracks on it and stuff and it's like okay so now now the movie's a little marketable because of the music but music's kind of interesting it's got they've got that repeating riff i would describe it as almost as like bluesy surf rock by way of like punk rock and i don't tend to love punk rock but it fits the movie really not just because there's punk characters in it but they're just the just the movie feels punk rock it also kind of fits because the movie feels like it I guess like the movie came out in 84 but it feels like it takes place almost earlier because you do have like this men in black aspect this alien aspect people are talking about Roswell and everybody's driving around these old cars like like there's not a modern car in the movie yeah that's I you see that a lot in movies especially in 80s movies I feel like there's always like that high school guy driving like an old Chevy Cutlass or something is it Chevy or is it Ford I don't, I don't know cars you know the stuff Oldsmobile Cutlass I don't know that doesn't sound right it might be though but I think that's just because they look better really right well and also like because I used better. to always they handle better handle better they didn't even have fucking power steering back then but um my car has power steering okay well, excuse me but no they, <laughs> there's a few aspects like one i always wanted like when you watch older movies were convertibles that much more popular back then than they are now or is it just that they look better on film or is it that most movies or you know a lot of them take place in la like this movie obviously so there's going to be more convertibles in la than in ontario but yeah you know and then you see these like old cars in these movies like nightmare on elm street johnny depp's got like an old car or something and it's like i don't know if that's just like what they had or if they just thought it looked better but i've always said this and i know i've talked to you about this the roger moore era james bond movies the worst cars because that's just (laughs) that's cars just sucked 
yeah back then like the sports cars the cars that were considered very nice in like the 80s are ugly they -hmm. just are like 60s cars 50s cars still look gorgeous yeah and then even 70s cars Certain seventies, like earlier seventies, yes. Later seventies, not as much, maybe, but yes, some of them for sure. Well, it's funny because most of the cars in this movie are from the late sixties and early to mid seventies. So you get these fucking boat-sized cars in the late sixties, mid sixties, and then up to the late seventies, like seventy-eight. So like the car that I own, it was like the last of the boats that America was producing. Sure. The last of the super yachts. Exactly, exactly yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio crashed into a tidal wave in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> but I do think that they look better on camera because cars had so much more character. They look then. better, not just on camera, they just look better, honestly. Yeah, yeah, they're like, there's there's swoops on their body. They just, they, they're colorful. The they fins, I love the fins. Yeah, yeah, they're just sexy. So, I mean, really, this movie is like, is a, is a car lover's wet dream. No, you're thinking of Titane. <laughs> I haven't even seen it, but I got the reference. Good. That Neither have I, yeah. <laughs> Back to Repo Man, though. Otto becomes a Repo Man, and Bud is kind of training him, and they're doing coke together because all Repo Men do coke to stay up and to stay alert. They refer to it as speed. Speed is different than coke, isn't it? Listen, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about my... My, well, I just I don't know anything about this knowledge. shit. I just I th- I think it's different than coke. I Hold think on, it's I'm looking thing, this up. Is speed horse? I think speed might be horse. Oh, it's cocaine and amphetamine combined. Oh, oh I, see, I see. Okay, I wouldn't. Have Interesting. Known that. That's exciting. Which I was listening to a song the other day, and this guy was saying he was singing this song, and he said this girl that he was into had a pocket full of horses and a tank full of gas, and I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Pocket full of Trojans. What? Oh, she had horse. A okay, because horses, horse is a drug. Also, it's like a street name for. A oh drug. yeah, see, I didn't even know that. But, anyways, I'm gonna start calling condoms horses. But oh, I always thought in the, in the um, song, I think it's 1999 by Prince. He's got the line in the song is, "I've got a lion in my pocket." I always thought the line was, "I've got a line in my pocket." I thought that was a drug thing, but it's not. It's just a animal thing i guess i don't know i don't know what the fuck's a lion doing in his pocket yeah or maybe there was a lion prince prince is like five foot two he can't fit even a baby lion in his pocket <laughs> or was or was there a picture of a lion on a condom back in the there day? might have been there might have been who knows or um what's there's a british uh i i don't know if it's british could be like belgian but there's a chocolate bar that's available in britain that has like a lion on it maybe he's just bringing one of those to the club <laughs> Ladies, would you like some chocolate? The most sensual of all sweets. His mission is to repossess a 64 Chevy, but hidden within its trunk. What you got in the trunk? You don't want to look in there. Is the most important discovery in the history of our planet. Repo Man. On one of the jobs that Otto and Bud are working on together, they take a beautiful old Cadillac Eldorado and... As Otto's driving it down the street, he sees this woman. What's her name again? Olivia Barish is the actress. I don't remember the character's name, but the Dr. Alien woman. Yes, Dr. Alien lady. While Otto's driving down the street, he sees her running. He says, hey, do you want to ride? And she hops in, and they're just shooting the shit. And then these men in black agents pull up next to them. Otto doesn't realize, or he doesn't notice them. And she sees them and ducks down and forces him to 
drive down a side road by just cranking the steering wheel. And he's like, hey, you know, like, what's going on? Why are you afraid of these guys? She says, if they find me, they'll kill me, I think is what she says. And then she pulls out a photo and says, and shows it to Otto. She goes, look at this. And he says, what is it, like a fucking sausage or something? Yeah, you don't see it that clearly. Yeah. yeah. And she goes, no, it's the bodies of four aliens in the trunk of a Chevy Malibu. We're going to publish this. It's going to be national news. So Otto's like, this is ridiculous. And he drops her off at a UFO place, United, what is it, Fruit Fruitcake Bakery? No, no, sorry. United yeah, yeah, it has, it has a uh, false name. Yeah, what is it? United but it's like a UFO museum or something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he drops her off. But before she actually goes into work, they decide to bang it out in the back of this Eldorado. When Otto gets back to the yard, though, he sees that the picture that he was just shown has been published in the paper. So you say the paper, but it's like the National Enquirer or something. Yeah, it's like the paper. Sure, oh, that's right. Yes. But, yeah, but, yeah, it, yeah. but it is one of those nonsense things. The point is, the exact same photo that he just saw is on the is on right. the nonsense paper. And while that's going on, there's a call coming down the line that there's a crap old Chevy Malibu that has a repo bounty, I guess, on it for 20000 Which is way more than any other car. Now you have the government and these repo guys looking for this car. But also, we were introduced earlier to these Mexican brothers. Is it like the Rodriguez brothers or something? Yeah, we've got several groups looking for this car because we've got plain old car thieves, too. Yeah, so you have these punks who stumble upon the car and steal it. You have this government looking, the government looking for the car. You have our repo men looking for the car. And you have these Mexican repo men also looking for the car. And then you have, you know, Parnell (laughs) crazily driving this car all around L.A. The Mexican brother repo men spot the Malibu at a gas station when Parnell gets out to vomit all over the place. And he's not looking well. He's looking really shaky. And luckily for Kevin, I think that's his name, the co-worker slash friend of... Uh, yeah, the guy who worked at the grocery yeah, store yeah, yeah, who yeah, now works just... at this gas station, yeah. Yeah, he was going to open the trunk, but he didn't at the last second because these Mexican repo guys showed up and they steal the car. If, if Kevin is his name, and I don't remember, doesn't he kind of look like Napoleon Dynamite? He looks exactly like Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> so these Mexicans have the car, and they pull up to a convenience store to get something to drink because they're like, hey man, this car's like really hot. And they're just like sweating through their clothes sitting in this car. So mm-hmm. obviously we realize that there's radiation coming from the trunk. And that is presumably what is killing people when they open the trunk. Or unless they're like irradiated alien bodies. Yeah, there's there's more to it than just radiation. But the radiation seems to have something to do with why Parnell is all sick and weird. But yeah. Yeah, well, near the end, we really discover how Par- like how crazy Parnell is. He's given He's himself... been lobotomized. I, I think he gave it to himself is what he said, didn't he? But after he built like a neutron bomb or something like okay. that. I thought maybe he was just a, a Kennedy sibling and they just did it to him because they didn't <laughs> like him. <laughs> so yeah, so these Mexicans, they realize something's weird with the car, but they're going to cash in. And as one of them is on the phone and the other one is in this convenience store, these punks just run up and steal the car and drive it away. We catch up with Otto meeting Dr. Alien Lady Friend and Government Lady with a metal hand at a club to discuss the car and aliens, and this Government Lady wants to know how much Otto knows. Which, by the way, nobody knows anything. 
you constantly have people talking about aliens and weird shit, and then you just have repo men who just care about the car. They don't know anything else about it. Mm-hmm. The punks show up to the club and kind of rough up Otto and make fun of his friends and start making out with this metal hand that this government lady has. But when they leave to get back into their stolen car, they find that Parnell is trying to break back into his own car. And he tricks the punks <laughs> into opening the trunk, and it totally vaporizes one of them. I like this scene, especially because they're, you know, because he's wearing the sunglasses, not just glasses, but they call him four eyes and they really missed an opportunity to call him three eyes. I know. He's only got one lens. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I love every time somebody gets vaporized. I just love the boots at the end. That's just such a great, (laughs) it's so Mm -hmm. great. Just, just see smoking shoes, but Parnell gets back in his car and he drives away. So to catch back up with Bud, there's a whole side story where he has this rivalry or his repo organization has a rivalry with the Mexican repo organization and they get into a car bat fight where they're bumping their cars into each other on the on the freeway and then they pull over and attempt to fight each other. But these Mexicans, they've they've actually bought this car now. It wasn't just a repo that they had. Now they've actually bought the car. So now they're like seeking settlement for damages. And Bud mm-hmm. gets fired, but he's still kind of hanging out with Otto. And Bud's just all pissy, and he's still looking for this car. And he's just trying to talk to Otto. Like, all, like none of this really makes that much sense. Otto just gets out of the car in the middle of the street after Bud turns it off, and he walks away. He sees the Chevy Malibu just kind of cruising around, so he chases it down. And just as it looks like he's not going to catch up to the car, Parnell stops the car and throws the door open to let Otto in. And then this is when we learn that Parnell's been lobotomized and there's definitely radiation or maybe a bomb and possibly definitely aliens in the back. If the rest of this movie wasn't like a jumbled trip, the last 15 or so minutes is definitely a trip, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I overall, I liked the movie, but I had problems with the last act because I just, it's, it was a lot of just like, wait, why, why is this person doing that? What, what's the, what, what's going on? I liked it more when it was being like kind of subtle and, you know, it's a weird movie because we have that first scene that establishes alien mm-hmm. or, or something. Yeah. But then for the longest time it's there's nothing remotely sci-fi about it it's just this story about some loser punk joining a repo agency or whatever and there's like this these weird kind of funny bits of satire with his parents giving all their money to televangelists i I liked all that stuff i guess just more than when it was being overtly sci-fi which is where obviously the story ends up going yeah I think it's a genuinely funny movie, and I agree with you. All of that stuff about this failed punk rock kid and joining a repo agency, I like all of that stuff, and I like all of the side characters that we're introduced to. Like, at the repo agency, like I said, you have Bud, who's who's a cool dude, Harry Dean Stanton. You have, a like, a cop <laughs> who's maybe not really a cop. He's, like, a security guard, and he's sitting in the repo shop just knitting, and nobody shows him any respect. They're all, like, tell him to fuck off and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have a kind of overweight schlubby guy who is like the head of this repo organization. And then you have this cool black dude who is going against all of these like repo rules that Bud had lined out to Otto near the beginning of the movie. And like some of these rules are, you know, don't break into people's cars. Don't damage their personal things. Do not damage the car. You know, don't steal the car. Only take the car if you've got the keys, right? 
but whenever Otto's working with this black repo guy, they're just like breaking into cars, hot wiring cars. <laughs> and there's a scene where they both take a car. They just start like throwing like all these like presents out of the car, but it turns out the presents are full of cash. Like it's just like stacks of money. Or there's another scene with this guy that I loved where he drops Otto off at this house to like take back this like 60s muscle car. And uh, the guy in this house starts shooting at Otto in the car. So the repo man, he gets out, he just starts firing a pistol into this guy's house. And it turns out they were just blanks. Like he was just bluffing the whole time. Just like in Animal House, yeah. Exactly. I I found that interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Both movies had that. All these repo characters are like interesting characters in their own right. They're interesting side characters. And then again, you have this crazy mechanic who works at the repo shop. And there's a great scene where like all these guys are standing around talking about something. I forget what, but John Wayne comes up and the mechanic goes, he's yeah. a fag. <laughs> and they're like, what? He goes, he was a fag. And they're like, no, Yeah, because he, he claims to have installed two-way mirrors in John Wayne's home. And also that John Wayne came to the door in a dress or whatever. Yeah, but I but then there's like a great like bit of dialogue after it where the schlubby owner of the shop goes, "Just because you like to watch your friends fuck, it doesn't mean you're a fag, right?" I mean, like, yeah, we they, all they do. just they just <laughs> keep justifying it because they don't want their opinion of John Wayne to change. Yeah, yeah, like it's all great. And then even these like Mexican repo dudes, they're pretty cool, and we're introduced to them via like a, a car race in the L.A. River in the mostly dried L.A. River. Yeah, the reservoir or whatever. Same yeah. kind of location is like uh, Terminator 2. And like, it's such a cool scene where you have these two old cars from like the 70s racing against each other and driving up the, the sidewalls of this of this embankment, you know? Like, it's such a cool thing. Like, there's so many cool things in this movie. Yeah, then you have the punks who are all shitheads and they're just doing things like robbing people at gunpoint, stealing things. My favorite joke of the movie and it happened to be a punk involved joke but it's when otto and bud stop at some convenience store to get i think beer or something and then when they're leaving the the cashier who hadn't said anything the entire time all of a sudden there's there are two punks like get up from behind the counter and then they're holding a gun next to him and then one of them's (laughs) like was that otto yeah there's just like a lot of funny funny things in it or even backtracking to when we meet Otto's parents and they're just staring blankly at the television watching this televangelist and he's again he cracks this can of food labeled food and he's eating it and his mom says oh Otto honey you should warm it up it would you would enjoy it more on a plate or something yeah and he goes "Mm -mm, I'm loving it just the way it is mom yep I'm just absolutely loving it can't get enough of it or something he's just eating it cold out of a can like Like, he doesn't give a shit. His parents obviously don't give a shit. It's just like a weird world that all these characters are living in. It feels both real but totally unreal. There's just so many strange things going on that, like, the repo part of this movie is the only part grounded in reality until the very end when Yeah, that's that's a good point. I had heard of Repo Man a while ago because it's a cult classic and it's a famous movie and... But I, I remember, like, hearing there's, like, this, oh, this cult movie called Repo Man. It's, like, a sci-fi movie. I assumed they would be, like, repoing people's bodies or organs or something, that there would be, like, a horror aspect to it, yeah. and it's not. And it's, like, there's nothing sci-fi about the repoing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm not, that's neither a good nor bad thing. I just, like, the realism of that, where it is there's just this down-on-his-luck guy working this very, very, very blue-collar job, this unappreciated job. Then there's all these goofy, weird stuff happening around him. 
Like, there's so many great scenes. Early on, Otto's working with, I forget the black guy's name, but, the, you know, the, the black repo guy. He hands him, like, a paper bag, because there's, like, a woman parked next to them at a stoplight. And he goes, here, try this. It always works on the women. And he gets out of the car, and he, like, he pulls a dead rat out of the bag and throws it into the car. And the woman looks up and goes, oh, how lovely. And then just maces him in the face. <laughs> and peels away and then the repo man peels away after you know it leaves Otto in the street like screaming in pain but to get to the last 15 odd minutes of this movie and we do mean odd Otto and Bud go into the same convenience store that was being held up earlier yes the punks show up and the punks hold everybody up at gunpoint and then there's a security guard who's a little spooked and he pulls his gun out and Bud pulls his gun out I don't remember who shoots first but I think the security guard does, or one of the punks do, but anyways, people just start getting blown away left and right, and Bud gets injured in the side of the head, and there's just broken glass and blood and dying people everywhere. And another great hilarious scene is this punk is bleeding out on the floor, and Otto's like talking to him, (laughs) the punk is like, you know, this is society's fault, I'm just a product of society, and Otto goes, that's fucking bullshit. (laughs) Like, he's like, you're, you're just a shitty person, and you kind of deserve this. And the guy's like, yeah, but uh, it hurts, and then coughs up a bunch of blood and dies. <laughs> like, it's just totally bizarre. But is this not the fault of the entire American university system? <laughs> Otto goes to visit Bud in the hospital after, I don't know, an unspecified amount of time. And by this point, they've already got the Malibu, and they've parked it in the at the repo yard but it gets stolen it changes hands bud leaves the hospital all kinds of wacky stuff is going on yeah and otto's working with like the mexicans at this point now, yeah yeah like, like he stole the car him do for, stuff them, for them yeah it's, it's just confusing just to fast forward to like again the last little bit also the car is glowing bright green and it's raining ice cubes we hear on the radio and then we see it raining ice cubes all around this car for like five seconds, that was a really weird detail. I, yeah, they, I know, did right? not keep up with that for the rest of the scene. Bud is sitting in this glowing car, and they're talking about how they're going to split the money. Then Bud slides out of the car, and there's like a government or police helicopter flying overhead. And Bud's taunting him. He's like, come on down here, you son of a bitch. I can take you all on. And just a machine gun opens up and plugs him in the gut like 50 times. <laughs> An amazing shot, by the way, because he's like right next to Otto, and Otto doesn't get shot. And I know. They were specifically <laughs> just aiming at him, but from a helicopter, that's tough to do, I would imagine. Then all the government agents burst in. They all show up in their van, and all these guys in suits get out, like these flame retardant suits, and they're trying to approach the car, which is now like sparking electrically. A government guy touches the car and then bursts into flames. <laughs> And then in the background, there's another government guy sitting down, and he's like, God, I love this job. And then this televangelist that we've very briefly heard of a couple times throughout the movie, he he shows up, and he approaches the car <laughs> holding out a Bible, but then the Bible bursts into flames, and he goes, holy sheep shit. <laughs> then the weird mechanic, he just kind of approaches the car, he's smiling, and he slides into the car totally unscathed, and then he kind of motions for Otto to come in and join him dr alien lady she goes what about our relationship he goes fuck that and he hops in the car and it immediately lifts off the ground and then they fly around la in this glowing car the last lines of the movie Otto is looking out the window down at the city and he goes this is intense and the mechanic goes the life of a repo man is always intense and it ends (laughs) 
<laughs> this totally weird ending to a totally weird movie. Patrick, what do you have to say about Repo Man? I don't know if this will be disappointing to you or our listeners, but I feel like I don't have that much to say about Repo Man. I think it's a good movie. I have no idea what it's doing, what it's trying to do or say in the last half hour or so. But I think it's a good movie. It's it's consistently pretty funny. For me, there were never like big laugh out loud moments, but there were numerous scenes and moments that I appreciated. I liked the grounded nature of Otto and the Repo Man stuff. And I don't think the weird sci-fi stuff mixed with it that well, especially given the ending. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have that much more to say about it than that. So, Jim, why don't you let me know what you think of it? I have to agree with you. All of the sci-fi stuff, it just feels out of place, especially that ending. I'm not sure what the director was going for. I don't understand it. But I did think that the movie succeeded in being a comedy and being rather entertaining. It's not as funny as Animal House. It might not be as entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the same type of comedy. No, no, exactly. But it's certainly an interesting movie, and I understand why it has that cult classic status. You know, I I, I can understand why people are really into this movie or, or why people like this movie. But it's just... From out of left field, like, it's just such an odd movie. I don't really have anything else to say about it, genuinely. It's just such a weird trip of a movie. It's a kitchen sink movie, right? You you throw everything out there. We've got a dark comedy. We've got a little punk rock character is kind of an outcast character who finds his lack of a better term home with these other kind of outcast figures but different outcast figures Mm -hmm. got a weird sci-fi plot about a crazy guy who lobotomized himself and a trunk that vaporizes people (laughs) elements of social satire that was especially apparent with what little we got of the televangelist and then there's this like weird chase like government conspiracy angle It all mixes together in an interesting way, but I don't think it mixes in a way that really makes me want to, like, call this one of my favorites or, like, make me want to see it again and again and again. And I know a lot of people love this movie, but I'm just not as, you know, I view it positively, but not that positively, I guess. It's a stew of a movie because you throw all these pieces or ingredients into it, but none of it actually mixes I mean, like when you're eating a stew, you're still munching down on carrots and potatoes and and the chunks of beef and stuff. It's not all together, right? You can pick out the separate pieces is what I'm saying, where it almost feels like they had an idea for like three different movies. And then they just threw them all into this one bucket and shook it around and let it sit for a couple hours and then served it to you. Well, and, and, and you keep saying they... Alex was this is a, Alex yeah, Cox. Alex Cox. This is a writer director, so this is a singular vision. So yeah. that's not literally what happened, but I understand what you mean is that that's what it kind of feels like. I agree, but I, I think this is the, the work of a very creative person mm-hmm. who was in film school, had a bunch of different ideas, and you know, like Sinatra, he did it his way. He was just trying to fit them all into something and it kinda works. It mostly it mostly works. It's yeah, just I'd agree uh, with that. It's, yeah, it's not like my favorite movie, but but in theory, like if this movie came out when it came out, I would have been like, Oh, I would like to see something else this director did. But mm-hmm. uh actually, you know what? He has a credit a screenwriting credit on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I did not realize that. But but it also says credit only, which probably means that he didn't actually have anything to do with the movie. They just threw his name on it for whatever reason. But 
I would guess, based on a lot of his other work, his interest was largely with the punk rock aspect of the movie. His follow-up film was Sid and Nancy, which is Gary Oldman. That's about Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols. Mm -hmm. He did Straight to Hell, which is a movie that I actually really want to see. It stars um, Joe Strummer of The Clash, which is one of my favorite bands. I mentioned earlier, I don't really like punk music generally. The Clash are the exception. I love The Clash. And I don't know if that's he made the, those movies because he was kind of pigeonholed as punk guy from Repo Man. or if, I, I'm kind of assuming... That was mainly his interest, but... I'm just reading some stuff on his Wikipedia page. Also has some controversies. In March 2007... Sorry, in a March 2007 blog post, Cox referred to Vice President Dick Cheney as, quote-unquote, secret architect of the 9-11 atrocities. In the same article, Cox called the September 11 attacks, quote-unquote, Plan Pearl Harbor, referring to the false flag conspiracy theory surrounding the you know attack what, on Pearl then? Harbor. That means that he would get along great with Emilio Estevez's brother, Charlie Sheen, famously, because Charlie Sheen starred in a movie that I think was called like World Trade or like maybe it's just 9-11. It had a really generic name. It was like a movie about 9-11. And I had never heard of this, but like when that movie was coming out there was controversy because apparently charlie sheen had said that that 9-11 was an inside job and he had like these conspiracy theories about it or whatever it's like why, why are we casting that guy in this movie <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna look up that movie because that if i'm not mistaken that had like the funniest poster i've ever seen because it looked like you know a lot of those like modern you know recent bruce willis movies oh no posters <laughs> just like, it, that's what it looked like it looked like a fake movie <laughs> by the way well you know what else looks like a fake movie repo chick. chick repo chick is the name of yeah if you just look at the the cover it's like a woman in a short dress holding a pistol yeah 9-11 the last the last movie charlie sheen was in came out in 2017 right before he went off the deep end or maybe right around the time yeah this looks like a fake movie it's him <laughs> and is that whoopee Looks like Whoopi. Wait, hold on. What, what's the movie? What is this? Gina Gina Gershon, Luis Guzman, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jacqueline Bissett. Yeah, this is a weird. I don't know why. I don't know who made this movie, but yeah, this is a weird looking movie. Oh, I'm looking at it. Oh no. Well, you know, it made two hundred thousand dollars at the box office, so you know it was a hit. <laughs> two hundred. That's fucking pathetic. Considering that a movie called Cocaine Bear is coming out this year in a couple months. I think we could make a schlocky movie. Well, first of all, first of all, you say Cocaine Bear. You know there's a Winnie the Pooh horror movie coming out soon, right? Yeah, I'm actually kind of excited to see that, if I'm honest. I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not. (laughs) Cocaine Bear might be okay, but, like, Winnie the... Like, can we just retire the, like, oh, we're doing a horror spin on this thing that isn't horror? Like, I'm just done with that. Banana (laughs) Splits. I think there was, like, a Grinch horror movie this past year that no one saw. I think there... I mean, yeah, I, think, I, I vaguely remember that. I'm just done with this crap. Like, can we get some creativity, please? No, I, I kind of agree. But I do want to see the Winnie the Pooh one. There's a Fantasy Island horror movie. Like, fuck's sake. Was it really? <laughs> it wasn't good, but it, that was, like, a real movie. Like, it had a budget. It was a Blumhouse movie. These other things are just garbage. But did, did the did the horror movie have like a have a knickknack like character? I think they maybe had a character with that name tattoo. I think is his name tattoo or something. They might have had, but he wasn't like a little person. He wasn't a French weirdo who <laughs> slept with a thousand prostitutes a night or anything. Yeah, like and that. argued with Roger weird. Moore constantly. That's why Roger Moore shoved him in a suitcase. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't scripted. Yeah, <laughs> Patrick, what do you think of these two as a double feature? 
let's let's do the movie preference first. I think oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. That. But I, I prefer Animal House. For me, it's not that close. There's some nostalgia with Animal House where I have been watching that movie for 15 years. Repo Man, I've only watched a couple times and only within the last few years. And I do admit Animal House isn't quite as good as it used to be for me, but I still like it a lot. There are aspects of it that I like more and more each time, some of the editing. Belushi was a talent, you know, seeing him. He didn't make too many movies, obviously, so it's nice to see him utilized so well in at least one really good one. So that's my uh, thought. It's a relatively easy decision for me. Jim, which of these two movies do you prefer? I think I preferred Repo Man more, but that's from like a biased opinion because I like old cars. I have an old car. Like, why do you, you is it just the cars? Is that, is that what you're no, 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 I mean, like, I, I, I like the comedy involved. I I'm like a the big cars. fan of old timey parade floats. So, you know, that <laughs> last scene of Animal House really got me going. Animal House, though, I, I genuinely found it funny and I did genuinely laugh out loud uh, a couple sure, times watching it whereas with repo man i think the comedy was i don't want to say it was more intellectual but it was more definitely deadpan, higher brow certainly well, yeah, yeah oh yeah yeah but deadpan in, in intellectual less juvenile i think you, you don't have to say it's but yeah so I, i'd go with um repo man but yeah so jim how do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature well you know it's funny there are some similarities between the not movies. many but some yeah exactly the blanks yeah, exactly. The blanks. Who's to blame for a, just a bad apple? You know, is it society or is it yes. yourself? Yes. That's a very, very, very small aspect of both films. The issues of both directors having uh, uh, some drama connected to them personally, Sure. Uh, I guess. I want to say it does, but I really don't think it does make a good double feature. Mainly because Repo Man is just too experimental. I guess experimental is a good word. I mean, it's 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 a polished experimental, though. Yes, it's, it's an experimental that's still well made, where it doesn't go completely overboard. But yeah, I think that's the way to say what I was saying earlier about it. It's, it feels college film studenty, but it, in a good in a good way. The two just don't play off each other at all, right? I mean, I'm tempted to say this is a pretty good double feature, but I'm trying to think of. First of all, I might go Animal House as the second feature. Because it's the raunchier one, it's the you know more sex and stuff. But but at the same time, Repo Man is so weird. Repo Man probably works better as a second feature. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I was gonna say I'd want to end on a fucking glowing green car lifting into the air and just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, but I like ending on um, Senator and Mrs. Blutarski. Though like, that's yeah, like I mean that. that's solid. That's solid. Though, and you know, I mean, I guess if it ends on glowing green car, if uh, Animal House comes second. That is a pretty good segue into just the absurdity of Animal House. Yeah, because well. you get an increasing level of wackiness with Repo Man, where you, the opening scene of Repo Man is weird and out there, but for the most part, that first act is pretty straight. It's satirical, but it's grounded, like you were saying. And Animal House, there's, the only thing that's grounded about it is John Vernon, really, who plays his role absurdly mm-hmm. straight, which I think makes it all the more funny that he's just this giant hard ass who hates these guys and is like, okay, I'll just make up double secret probation. That's what they're on now. And, you know, but yeah, I, I think they're, I think this is a good double feature. I think there's two pretty funny movies, one very funny. I think both movies have a culture of youth about them, and, but it's, but at the same time, it's a different culture of youth. Yeah. Animal House is this college don't give well there's a bit of a don't give a fuck attitude in both of them but i guess in repo man it's just it's a punk rock attitude it's different but 
similar. They're relatable in a way, or mm-hmm. similar in a way. So yeah, I think it's a pretty good one. It's not perfect, but I'd, I'd take it. I would watch these movies back to back. I think I would go Animal House second, but I don't think it's bad the way it is. Okay. Well, that's that. Yeah, and so, Jim, here's what we've got next week. We've got one of your personal favorites, The Rock, oh! starring Sean Connery, yes, <laughs> Nicolas Cage, and others. And we've got The Cabin in the Woods, speaking of asshole directors. Well, actually, Joss Whedon didn't direct that movie, but he wrote it. So, yeah. The Rock and Cabin in the Woods, an action classic and a modern horror classic. Now, now, have you seen The Rock? Yeah, like a long time ago. Oh, it's a great movie. <laughs> okay, I'm so excited. Listen, we'll, we'll decide on that next week, okay? Maybe okay. it isn't. Okay. So please join us uh, next time, um, because we will be happy to have you. 